Amen. Thank you. It's uh, good to be back with you this morning on this Lord's Day and Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to you dads out there. It's good to be back from out west. It's been the last week in Phoenix at our Southern Baptist Convention meeting. And uh, if any of you caught up or kept up with any of that, I'm sure you found it quite uh, interesting. Um, it was quite interesting. I'll have more to say that perhaps at a later time, but it's, uh, it was good. It was a good meeting overall, and I appreciate the opportunity to have gone and Jennifer and I uh, to spend some time out there at that meeting. It's uh, always a blessing to see uh, what the Lord is doing, not just in your own local church, but throughout His church uh, scattered uh, throughout uh, the United States and really throughout the world. And so I'm always encouraged by that. I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. John, chapter 8, verses 12 through 20 will be our text for today as we look at uh, the second I am statement in the Gospel of John. Appreciate Trey last week uh, taking the time to walk you through John, chapter 6, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Today we will be looking at the second statement where he says, I am the light of the world. This is the Gospel of John, chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. Let's stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. I want to read down to verse 20. John, chapter 8, beginning in verse 12, I want to read down through verse 20. This is the Word of the Lord. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony, testimony is true, for I know where I came from and I, where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word. I pray that you would use it in our lives to instruct us and to shape us and to conform us to the image of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Without life, or excuse me, without light, I should say, life would cease to exist as we know it. Light is important for the existence of life. Think about the sun, for example. How critical it is in sustaining life on earth. How critical it is for the earth to have been providentially placed by God in what's called the habitable zone, so that just the right amount of life, or light, I get those two words confused, light is existing in our world so that life can happen. Otherwise, if the earth were far from the sun, it would be nothing more than a frozen piece of rock floating in the cosmos. Again, God saw fit to create the sun 
and placed the earth at just the right distance from the sun, rotated in just the right way so that our planet gets adequate light, thus creating a thriving place for life to exist as he's created it. Light is a good thing. Whether it's the life-sustaining light from the sun, the helpfulness of a lamp, or even the flashlight on your iPhone, amen? We all benefit from lights. And throughout the Bible, light is presented as something good. Indeed, we'll see just a little bit later how it's even associated with the very presence and activity of God himself. Jesus comes along here in the Gospel of John, here in chapter 8, and he makes an illuminating claim. I am the light of the world. There's a lot, there's a lot packed in that one statement. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to consider this statement and really the the context that flows out of it. And we're gonna need to look also at the context that comes before it. But as we consider this, this claim of Jesus, I am the light of the world, we need to understand that this statement does four things for us. As it instructs us, as it teaches as it, as it unfolds the very nature and character of who Christ is, it does four very important things. And we're going to see that as we walk through the text. I'll just give the four up front in case you check out on me later. Number one, it establishes Christ's authority. We're going to see how it exposes the darkness, how it encourages faith, and how it expels the blind. We're going to walk through those four observations of this text today. So Jesus makes this claim, I am the light of the world. He, number one, is establishing his authority, at least verbally. We know his authority has been in place ever since eternity, past. But here he is verbalizing. He is making a verbal recognition. He is claiming the authority he had already had for all of eternity. He is making that clear in this statement. So here in verse 12, Jesus makes this statement, I am the light of the world, and, and really That's a very provocative statement. It's a very big deal when he said this. And so for for us to really grasp the weight of this statement, I want us to consider the the centrality of light in the biblical narrative. See how important light is. In fact, if you were to do a word study or just take the concept of light and run it throughout the scripture, you'll see how, how, I mean, it's all over the place. So I just want you to see how, the, how important the concept is all the way from the very beginning. In fact, if you go back to the very beginning in the narrative there in Genesis chapter one, we know that in the very few first verses, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. The very first act of creation involved God bringing light into a dark and void world. God created the light. If you were to move into the book of Exodus as the Israelites suffering in Egypt, making their way now out of Egypt through God's miraculous deliverance of his people. 
And as they make their way from Egypt north to the promised land, the very presence of God was with them and it was the very presence of God that led them and guided them as they make their way out from Egypt to the promised land. We read in Exodus chapter 13, verse 21, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel both by day and by night. So light there in the Exodus becomes associated with the very presence of God. Psalm 27, verse one, we get to the psalmist David later on expresses his hope by saying, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So light there in the Psalms is associated with salvation and hope. In Isaiah, the prophet there in Isaiah chapter 49, verse six, speaking of a later servant to come, says, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And later on, we see in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 19, as the prophet looks forward to the new heavens and new earth, he says, the sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. We know that the same thing is basically repeated in the book of Revelation there at the end, the last chapter in Revelation 22, verse 23, in the city there, the new Jerusalem has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and is, its lamp is the lamb. By its light will the nations walk. So throughout the Bible, light is associated with the very presence of God, the activity of God, the salvation of God, and our future hope where God himself will be our light for all of eternity. So, here in the Gospel of John, as Jesus makes this statement, I think it's also important for us to understand the context in which he makes this statement. Looking at verse 20 of the text that I just read, we know that Jesus is standing in the treasury there in the temple as he taught. The treasury, we know that it was also the, the, known as the court of women. You had several layers or several um, layers of the temple scheme. You had the court of the Gentiles. Now you had the court of the women, the treasury area. Probably trusted the women with the money more than the guys. I'm guessing, I'm speculating there. I don't know. But we know that this is the place that Jesus was standing. There in the temple, in the court of women or the treasury. And if you go back to chapter seven, we know that this is during the Feast of Tabernacle or the Feast of Booths. It was called the Feast of Booths because during this celebration, people would live in small leafy booths to commemorate God's faithfulness to Israel during the wilderness wanderings. Later on, we know that they, because of their sin, were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. But again, it was God's presence that guided them and gave them the light that they needed even then. So this tradition was celebrated there with the lighting of menorahs or candelabras there at the court of women where the treasury was, commemorating the pillar of light back that the Lord provided for them to get them through the wilderness. So 
With all of that backdrop, Jesus is standing there in the treasury, in the court of women, during the Feast of Tabernacles, commemorating the event where God, as a pillar of light, revealed as a pillar of light, guided his people in faithfulness from the Exodus through the wilderness wanderings. In all of that backdrop, Jesus makes this provocative claim. I am the light of the world. Friends, when you begin to put all this together, and all of what we see in the scripture, even in the Old Testament, what it meant when we referred to the light, Jesus was making nothing less than a declaration of divinity. In essence, he was claiming to be God. He's stating that I am the fulfillment of all of these Old Testament illusions that were pointing forward. I am the light that will bring hope to the nations. In fact, if you were to go back in chapter one of John's gospel, very famous passage. We read there in the very first verse, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. We know that the word is referring to to Christ. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of God. Of men, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is claiming to be God. I am the light of the world. I am the one that the that the Old Testament was pointing towards. Well, certainly that had the Pharisees quite bothered. So we need to understand several other things as we walk through this passage. So Jesus establishes his authority. Not that he didn't have it to begin with, he's establishing it just for their sake to understand, hey, let me just be clear who I am. And what, a, what better place to make that claim than right there during the Feast of Tabernacle. The second observation, a second thing that we learn from this passage is that Jesus is also exposing the darkness here. Notice Jesus' statement. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, will not walk in darkness, will not walk in darkness. The implication of that statement is that those who do not follow Jesus walk in darkness, right? Jesus' statement is implying that very important reality. It recognizes that the presence of darkness is what marks all of those who do not follow Jesus. Darkness in the Bible is associated most of the time with evil. Ephesians chapter five, verse eight, Paul writes, for at one time you were darkness. In John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain In darkness. It's always important, I think, for us to hear statements like that because it's pretty straightforward, right? But what is Jesus saying there? He's again, and we see this all over the scripture, he's again asserting that there are only two types of people in the world. You're either light or darkness, right? You're either in the light or you're in the darkness. And Jesus makes that clear in John 12, 46. Whoever believes in me may not remain. You're not some neutral category that you can go either way. You're born into darkness. Sin, you're born into sin. You're not neutral. 
You don't remain in this neutral state. You're either in Christ or you're not. You're either in the light or you're not. We see that that's repeated time and time again. Darkness is where we start. And brothers and sisters, friends, darkness is where you will end. Unless you repent and trust in Christ. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 13, as Jesus is speaking of those cast into hell, it says that they were cast into outer darkness. Outside of Jesus, there is only darkness. So Jesus makes that claim, if you will, by asserting the opposite, but I think we have to read there, implied in that, is that the one who doesn't follow him is in darkness. John 12 remains in darkness. So as he's establishing his authority, he's, he's doing so in such a way with this statement, I am the light of the world. As he does that, he's exposing the reality of darkness and its presence in the world. But then number three, he encourages faith. I want you to see this. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Whoever follows me. Notice, notice here, Jesus is, is expanding, if you will, a bit on what it means to be a believer in him. We know that earlier, John in chapter three says that for God so loved the world that Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, we know that salvation is more than just mental assent, right? It is a heart-transforming work of God's sovereign grace where he comes to you and he gives you eyes to see the beauty of his glory and he enables you to, to believe in this glorious truth that we call the gospel of Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus lived, he died, he rose again so that our sin can be taken care of once and for all. But we know that if we're just talking about facts, even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Salvation is not about believing facts, although it includes it. It is about the work of transforming grace, whereby God gives you this spirit of renewal in your life so that you commit yourself in faith to Christ. You repent of your sin and you trust in him and you become a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus. He says, whoever follows me will not walk. Notice the two words there. He's talking about following and walking. It's, it's, it's descriptive of a lifestyle, isn't it? So a couple of things here that we need to understand. Two facts about those who trust in him as the light or who follow him. We can say it that way. First of all, it impacts our walk. Paul says it well in Colossians 1 verse three. He says, speaking of Christ, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. This is the work of the gospel. This is what Christ does. He transfers those from, who are living in the domain of darkness and he transfers them into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his beloved son. Earlier we noted from Ephesians 5 verse 8 where Paul says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So again, he's making this contrast. John uses the word walk here, which is very common in his writings. If you were to read the Gospel of John or 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, you'll see how John really becomes 
This word walk is, is very commonplace in his writing. And really to walk means to be controlled or influenced by or to belong to. It's a lifestyle. It's an it's a, it's a all-in kind of reality. So John is using that here, even in this statement, whoever follows, Jesus is saying this, whoever follows me will not walk, not be controlled by, not be influenced by, not belong to, darkness. So our walk is impacted. John restates this statement, but from a negative angle in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Got a lot of passages I'm throwing at you today, I realize, but I just, there's so much about this topic of light and, con- and compared to Christ throughout the, the Bible. But in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, we hear this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. I can't think of any better passage for a, a believer to hear today as a means of both warning and instruction. If we say we have fellowship with Jesus, if we say we walk with Jesus, we have fellowship with Jesus, we trust in Jesus, we're with Jesus, but walk in darkness. We're saying, yeah, I got Jesus as my savior, but my lifestyle demonstrates otherwise than what we are as a bunch of liars. And we do not practice the truth. This clearly means that there is a distinction, a clear distinction between the believer and the unbeliever. This is huge. We, we have to see this distinction made. You cannot claim to be a follower of Jesus and still be controlled by the kingdom of darkness. You cannot claim to be a follower of Jesus and still live a life that is associated with darkness. I'm not saying that you cannot claim to be a Christian and ever sin again. That's not what I'm saying. So I'll get that clear. How many of us have sinned this week? Raise your hand. All right. Clarify that. What we're saying though is that your life can no longer be controlled by or associated consistently by the darkness. We give you so many examples. Just this past week as we're at the Southern Baptist Convention, I think this is why it was so critical that we pass a resolution condemning the evil satanic influence of alt-right white supremacy. That has no place, brothers and sisters, in the kingdom of God. Has no place in the kingdom of God. And the reason it needs to be condemned is because these people, many of them, claim to be Christians. They're not. I can say that with confidence. They're living in the kingdom of darkness while claiming to be in the light. And brothers and sisters, they are not in the light. They are not. We need to understand there is a clear distinction There's a clear marking of who it is that belongs to Christ and our walk is part of that proof, the fruit that we bear. The gospel transforms us. It makes makes our walk different. Everything about us now is governed by the light. Sure, we will struggle with sin, but how we walk, brothers and sisters, will be much different. Our walk, but also our witness, 
As we encounter the light, not only does our walk change, but so does our witness. We become people of the light so that we reflect the light. Matthew chapter five, verse 14, there in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says about his followers, he says, you, you are the light of the world. Isn't that interesting? Here in John, he says, I am the light of the world, claiming divinity, claiming that he's divine, claiming that he is the fulfillment of all of the God, all of the old, God-inspired Old Testament promises looking forward. He's saying, I am that one. And now he turns to his followers, to his church, his disciples. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Why? So he's commanding us there, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The reason that we are light bearers is not so that people look at us and say, that's some good light. I like your light. You look good, bright. No, the reason that we become light bearers is so that they will see through us, beyond us, to a glorious light, a savior, the light of the world. We are light bearers. We bear the light to point people to the true lights. And it's a good thing to stop and consider from time to time how much light it is that you, you're reflecting. You know, I know that probably many of you have the same, but in our house we have several of those dimmer switches. The light switches where you can just kind of raise and lower the lighting. The lights are still on, but you can lower it almost to just a a faint dull glow. We rarely use those dimmer switches because I prefer to have the full impact of the light. Why else have a light switch if you're gonna turn it all the way down? I know there are certain reasons for that, but we rarely use those dimmer functions because we prefer to have the full impact of the light. I couldn't help but think that there are so many believers who Jesus says, you're the light of the world. So many believers that that think their dimmer switch is on that low setting. There's enough light there to say, yeah, they're the light and they're with the light. But friend, they could be so much brighter. Brother and sister, you were created, you were saved, you were reconciled to God, not to be on the low setting, but to be fully light-bearing people for the glory of the King. If God has so saved you from your own sin, if he has reconciled you to himself, if he has brought you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son, Why would we want to hide that light? Why would we want to keep that on the down low? Why do we want to keep that just kind of bright enough? Because we ought to be bearing that light brightly. Don't, Don't leave the dimmer switch on low. You were created and redeemed for full brightness. And people all around you are living in darkness and they need the light you have if they ever want to see. What are you showing them? And what are you showing them? What do they see? So we know that the light 
Jesus is speaking of, obviously he's referring to himself. He's encouraging genuine faith as he's making this declaration. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will no longer walk in darkness. Implied in that, he's gonna walk in the light. He's gonna bear fruit. He's gonna be a true follower of Jesus. And we know from other passages, you can't claim one and, want, and, and have the other. But it also impacts our witness, how we bear light for others to see. But then last, the things that this, what Jesus does here, not just in this statement, but in the, in the discussion that follows, is, is summarized it this way. He expels the blind. He, he's really condemning those who aren't seeing him clearly. Now think about all that Jesus has just stated. He's just stood in the court of women where the treasury is, where the menorahs are that were lit during the Feast of Booths pointing back to the presence and provision of God. It's a pillar of light in the wilderness, commemorating the presence of God and the deliverance of God. And Jesus stands right there in the midst of that feast, in the midst of that court, and he says, you can light these candles all you want. And some are actually, some actually say that Jesus was, was bringing that initial mark of condemnation on the temple system because he's going to be the temple. He's going to bring fulfillment. To no longer, there's no longer sacrifices needed. There's no longer temple needed. And so it's the beginning work of that statement as he stands there and says, hey, I am the light of the world. I've, I've come. I'm bearing this light. I'm bringing you hope. As he stands there, stating that he's the fulfillment of all the Old Testament pointing that all the Old Testament had pointed to. He's God in the flesh that has come to bring light and hope to the nations. He's the one that came to transform people from kingdom of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of light. And he says it right there in the midst of this feast. And in verse 13, the Pharisees basically respond and they call him a liar. Look at verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. You're a liar, Jesus. That's what they're saying. To which Jesus responds and says, I know my testimony is true because I know where I came from and you don't. The Father sent me and I've come to bear witness about the Father. And then if you keep reading chapter eight, there's this back and forth debate, so to speak, discussion we could say, between Jesus and the Pharisees all throughout the rest of this chapter. And by the time you get to verse 39, the Pharisees finally, out of frustration, just make a final conclusion that, well, we are offspring of Abraham. We don't know who your father is, but our father is Abraham. And then everybody started singing Father Abraham, right? That's what they say. They, they, Jesus, we don't know where you've come from. We don't know who you think you are. We don't you keep referring to your father. We don't even know who you're talking about, but let us be clear here. Our father is Father Abraham. Better comment to make to Jesus on Father's Day, right? He makes that statement. And Jesus actually, then goes on to say, say to them, he says, actually, if you really knew Abraham, you'd do like he did and you'd trust in me. But the truth is, is that you're not of Abraham. You're actually of your father, the devil. Then I want you to pick up in verse 48 of chapter eight. 
<clears throat> now, after being told that their father is the devil, they were not happy. Verse 48, the Jews answer him. They've already accused him of having a demon, and now they bring that back up again. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, <clears throat> and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. <clears throat> truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. And then notice what he says in verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So then they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus was making quite clear that the confusion was not on his side, but rather on their side. That the deception was not with him, but with them. Their claim to Abraham as their father by heritage was a false claim because they didn't truly know Abraham. And what Jesus is saying is that Abraham looked forward in faith. Abraham was saved by faith, by the way, not by works. People in the Old Testament are not saved by keeping the law or else none of them would be saved. People in the Old Testament were saved by looking forward in faith to the promised Messiah. That's exactly how Abraham was converted. He was looking forward in faith, trusting in this day. And Jesus confirms that right here. And then he goes further and they, they're, they're all, well, how do you know Abraham? You're, you're not yet 50. And how have you seen Abraham? And Jesus says, actually, before Abraham even existed, I was, I am. Where I am is, we know in the Old Testament, the very name of God himself. So Jesus begins in chapter 12 and he ends by the end of the chapter by confirming his divinity, by the fact that he is divine, that he is God in the flesh and that he is the light of the world, the hope of nations. And the point here is the Pharisees don't buy it. They're like, we don't believe you, Jesus. So much so that they were willing to stone him. Friends, it still remains true that there are many people in the world, many even who've been confronted by the claims of Jesus, who still say, no thank you. We don't buy all of this, Jesus. Surely, yes, you were a man, you lived, you were a good prophet, you were a good teacher, you were a good moral man, a good example but we're not buying it. We're not believing that you're the savior of the world. Indeed, many are even offended that we had even suggest that Jesus is the only hope that they have. 
You know, John also spoke about this response earlier in chapter three. We know John three sixteen quite well, don't we? For God so loved the world, passage. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But friends, that text continues. And here's what we read in John chapter three, verse 19 and 20. Just a few verses later, and Jesus says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. And here's the reality. The reason people do not embrace Jesus as the light and follow him is because they prefer the darkness. It's not that they're in this neutral thing and they just didn't have enough knowledge to figure it out. It's actually because they're in the domain of darkness and they like it there. Our natural human response as those who are born in the darkness is to stay in the darkness. To run from God and his light because we know that we are rebels and want to remain that way. And when the light comes to expose the truth of who we are, we don't want that exposed because we like it. Friends, rejection of God is never passive. It's never passive. Those you know that are resisting the claims of Christ, that are even hostile, they're, 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 they're hostile to God, they're hostile to the gospel, they, they detest it. There are other people that you may know that aren't Christian. They don't seem like that bad of a person. But friend, let me just remind you that their rejection of the gospel is not passive. They prefer the darkness. They may just be nice about it. They actually like it better than what the light brings. That's what the scripture says. Some of you may likely be here today and be wrestling with that right now. You may be wrestling with this fact right now that you know Jesus is the light, that he has come as light for the world, but the darkness, you know, it's that struggle. There's things in the darkness you like and you don't want to release. You've encountered the light, but the darkness has so marketed itself to you and catered to your sinful desires in such a way that you just can't say no. Let me just remind you that the true reason people miss heaven and go to hell is due to no other reason that they have no desire to come to the light and would rather remain in their sin. They prefer the darkness even more than the life God has unfolded before them and so they get exactly what they want. The only reason a person will be in hell is because they willed to be there. Got exactly what their flesh desired. So friend, I would just 
If you're here today and you're wrestling with that tension in your own heart, if you're here today and you know that your life, if you were to look at your life, if we were to kind of put it up there on the video screen, you'd be embarrassed because you know that it's more reflective of the darkness, if that's possible, reflective darkness, than it is the light. You'd be mortified for that to happen. And so you're wrestling with this tension in your own heart. You know the light is good. You know that that's where you should be, but you like the darkness. And so you've kind of got one foot in and one foot out. You can't, that's impossible. You're either in the darkness or you're in the light. And friend, let me just remind you that Jesus came to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness and to bring us into his own fellowship. He went to a cross and took upon himself the full judgment and wrath and anger of God against sin. So much so that he felt totally abandoned where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus at the cross encountered the full weight of darkness so that you, friend, could be rescued from darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. If you would simply look to him and rest in him, trust in him, believe in him, embrace him, and turn from sin, the Bible promises that if you would simply look to Christ, come to the light, you will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven once and for all. And if that is you, come to Christ today. You're not promised tomorrow. Come to Christ today. Believe in this glorious hope. Jesus didn't just come saying, I'm the light of the world, so it'd make for a good story. He came for people just like you. Believe him. Trust in him. Embrace him. And follow him. He will transform your life, brother. He will transform your life. You know, the prophet Isaiah, looking forward to the day when the Messiah would come, he said in Isaiah chapter nine, verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelled in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. And so Jesus comes along hundreds of years later and says, I am that light. I am that light. I am the light of the world. And he can say this because he was there when light was spoken into existence and he himself will be there in the end as the light for all of eternity. There's no reason to continue to walk in darkness when there's an eternity of light-filled joy that compels us to follow after the light of the world. Friend, do you know the light of the world? Have you embraced him in faith? Christians, are you walking? Are you walking as light? Are you, is your witness dimmed or is it bright? Friends, what a great hope we have. What a great savior we have. Trust in him, follow him, and be witnesses for him to his glory. And let's long for that day when there will be no need for sun or moon for Christ, our lamb, will be our light forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for what you've done and for who you are. We thank you for sending light into the midst of darkness. We thank you for this great hope that we have in Jesus. 
We thank you that we can be brought out of this kingdom of darkness that enslaves and ensnares so many people. God, that you have come and that you have plucked us out of that, that you have brought us out in your power and all for your glory. Father, would you help us to be light bearers? Lord, as you claim to be the light of the world and then you instructed your followers to be likewise, would you help us to do that? My prayer is that Redeeming Grace Baptist Church would indeed be that city on a hill, that we would be light for the world around us, that we would be not ashamed of the gospel at all, that we would be on full display, fully bright, fully committed to the faithful gospel of Jesus Christ till he comes again. And Father, would you help us when we fall short of that? Lord, we especially pray for those that may be with us today that they recognize that they're, in the, they're still held by the grips of darkness today. Lord, would you move in their heart? Would you open their eyes? And would you give them hope today as they come and bow the knee to the light of the world? Father, we thank you for this word you've given us today. We praise you and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's stand together and sing today as we respond to the Lord.